Welcome to Ofsted Talks. This podcast was recorded live at Ofsted and HMIP's joint launch of Prison Education, a review of reading education in prisons, which took place on the 22nd of March. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. I want to thank everybody who's worked on the report. It's a, a joint effort between um, Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Prisons and Ofsted. Um, many, many experts have been involved. We've drawn on people who've gone before. I'll talk about you in a moment, Sally. But it, it's it's a phenomenal piece of work. Um, I'm so, so happy that it's come together in this sort of very clear and I think urgent way um, that's really a very important push. A huge proportion of prisoners need and aren't getting, um, and that there are very obvious and clear ways um, to make it so much better than it is today. Um, now I've got the pleasure of introducing Dame Sally Coates, who in 2016 published her independent review of education in prisons. Um, it made a strong case for putting education at the very centre of the prison regime and for making prison and governors accountable for and able to choose the education that best um, meets prisoners' needs. But since then, there's frankly been little improvement, I think, in the quality of prison education. Um, and the pandemic has undoubtedly contributed to making it worse. But I think it will be valuable to have this panel discussion because I think drawing on the expertise in this panel and, and this audience help us exert the right, the, the, the right pressure, the right push in the right places. Sally is now, of course, Director of Secondary Academies at United Learning as well as being patron of the, the National Citizen Service Trust. Thank you for agreeing to chair this panel. As Amanda says, my day job is running academies up and down the country for the biggest multi-academy trust in our country. So I'm responsible for about 60 secondary schools, I think. So my passion is education. And when um, the Secretary of State at the time, uh, Michael Goad, asked me to lead a review of education in prisons, I had never stepped into prison. I knew very little about prison. People just don't know what goes on in prison unless they work in a prison or indeed are unfortunate enough to go into a prison. I, I led the review um, with a very expert panel. Um, and Natasha, who's here, who's um, the CEO of Unlocked, was actually on the panel. But I think both Natasha and I knew very little about prison education when I, when I started the review. And it was a, a real eye-opener going into prisons and going to classrooms, particularly as I'd been in classrooms for most of my working life, either as a teacher or indeed um, running schools. I saw very little good education. I did see some, we did see some, but we saw very little. And we saw uh, most of the classes we saw would probably, would probably be graded inadequate if indeed in mainstream education. And it was a very depressing experience. Um, we went into tens of prisons up and down the country. We went into a female state, the male estate. The review was published in 2016, and we made a whole series of recommendations, all of which were accepted by the government at the time. And um, here, to be here six years later, reading this report, which I, I read, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, I think it's a really good thing that this report has been commissioned, and I read the report with great interest, but I also read it with frustration, disappointment, and in some ways anger that we are still talking about the same things that I was talking about in 2016. Some things have changed. Governors do have more accountability. And what happens in classrooms, particularly around literacy, which we know is so important, that very little has indeed changed. 
And um, I do hope that today we have a discussion and we take some the recommendations that have been put forward by this report that something actually happens. We need some action now. Otherwise, in six years' time, we'll be sitting here again, hearing yet another report and, and saying again, nothing's changed. So I'm going to open the discussion, but first of all, I'm going to ask the panel to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Bridget McKeown. I'm the Library Manager at HMP Manchester. Thanks, Bridget. Francesca. Hi, I'm Francesca Cooney, and I'm the Head of Policy at the Prisoners' Education Trust, and we also coordinate the Prisoner Learning Alliance. Charlie Taylor, Chief Inspector of Prisons. Charlie? Amanda Spielman, Chief Inspector at Ofsted. I'm Louise John Shepherd, and I'm the Chief Executive of the Centre for Literacy and Primary Education, but co-authored the report with um, Kirsty. Kelly Gleeson, Administrator for the Building Futures Team of the Prison Reform Trust, lived experience of prison. Thanks very much. So I think I'm going to ask, start by asking Kelly, as you have had a lived experience of prison, what your experience of reading and, and literacy was in prison? What, what is it really like? It's, um, it's really bad. Sadly, I've actually been to prison four times um, since 2010, never again. Um, it, it's really bad. The, the wages um, for education are a pound, but you can go into a job and earn £2.20, £2.50. As a mother, and I know for the women as well that were mothers or wanted to keep the contact with the family, phone credit is so expensive. People need to buy toiletries, etc. So they will go into them jobs and avoid the education side of it just because it, it doesn't pay well, like they can't keep in contact with the family. Even more so, if you can't read and write, you need that phone credit, you know, because it's taken away that the, the written contact um, to your children or your family. It's been the same all the way through. I mean, I've, I've kind of done a tour of the country with women's prisons, and it's been the same since, well, since 2010. Education classrooms are chaotic. You've got some really, really complex women in the women's estate that have been through such traumatic experiences, adverse childhood experiences in a classroom with one tutor that can't manage, you know, that can't manage a classroom of all these people. There's not enough support. Um, there's not enough one-to-one, -one, there's not staff for it, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. Okay, thank you very much. And Bridget, would you like to comment on that? Because obviously, in, from the perspective of libraries and how they work within prisons... Um, we're, we're quite lucky in our library, um, and I don't want us to be the lucky library. I want us to, to be the library that everybody sort of aspires to be, because we have um, a dedicated officer and that isn't the case across many of the prisons. I think we're one of the few that have a dedicated officer. And what that means is that we have somebody who can support us with our Shannon Trust. We have somebody who can support us with any groups that we want to run. We've got somebody who supports us directly if we bring people in to do activities because they're there and they can go and get the people, the, the, the men, because it's a men's prison, and bring them to the library and take them back. Um, where that falls down, unfortunately, is the regime, is staffing, is the priority that library is given within the, within the prison. It can be. And, and for me, you say you're passionate about education. Absolutely. I'm passionate about reading, about reading for pleasure. I've got a seven-year-old grandson who's learning to read and he's probably at a similar age to a reading level to some of the people that I'm working with. How are these people functioning in daily life? If we want people to come out of prison and have opportunities and be better and change their life around, if they're coming out with the same skills, failing them. 
exactly. absolutely failing them. And I think Natasha will probably remember, we went to a prison called Grendon Prison and I sat in with the rest of my panel, a couple of people from my panel, and about 60 men came in and all sat round the outside of the room and one by one went round and introduced themselves. And almost all of them had had very poor experience of education when they were at school. And one man, I'll never forget, I've been in prison for 40 years and I still can't read. I mean, it was absolutely shocking. I was just stunned by that. Um, 40 years in prison and he still can't read. And as we know, many people in prison come from traveller backgrounds or come from you know, disadvantaged homes where they have dropped out of education for one reason or other or been permanently excluded. And then they get into the youth justice and then the prison education, prison um, system, and it just continues. Um, and then they come out and obviously reoffend because they have no skills to do anything else. So Charlie, perhaps yes. you could um, let me know, why are the barriers, why is nothing changing? Uh, I think it's a huge concern. Um, I come from an education background as well. I used to be a head teacher of a special school. Um, so so I, I came into this world with a huge interest in education. Whenever I, whenever I meet a prisoner, I always ask them about their education experience, what it was like for them at school. And so many of them, for whatever reason, fell out of education. Some were never in school at all. Some uh, were, were kicked out of school, usually in about year seven or eight, and never got back into any sort of meaningful education again. Um, I think the reason why progress hasn't been made is because it hasn't been a priority. And I think there has always been a temptation within the prison service to focus in on things that are incredibly important, but nevertheless, uh, to the exclusion of other things. So the focus on security, uh, the focus on stopping stuff getting into prisons, stopping violence and stopping, uh, and, and stopping prisoners escaping. Those things are all incredibly important, but that has been at the detriment of learning to read and pushing the quality of education. I also think there's an accountability issue because uh, governors are not accountable for the quality of education in their prison in the same way that we as head teachers absolutely would be. And therefore, because there's an accountability gap, it's something simply that governors do not lose sleep over. Um, they don't get judged on how good the education is on their prison, that the provider gets judged on that. Uh, the prison service doesn't make the quality of education a priority for it when it's judging the success of the governor. And therefore, until we get to a stage where governors and leadership within education are responsible for the quality <coughs> of education, I, I think it will be hard to make progress. So, Alias McConnell want to comment on that. Francesca. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree that prison education is not a, a big enough priority, and it's really noticeable that in the white paper there are financial commitments to security aspects of prisons, but there aren't clear financial commitments to how much more resource is going to go into education, if at all any. And I would say the other thing that really comes out of the... Um, the, the report is how contracts are getting in the way of delivery. Contracts are not enabling good delivery of prison education, and that really needs to be looked at. Um, yes, I've, I've, I've visited one prison where the contract was very clearly sort of get, get, directly getting in the way. Sort of confusion, a, a bit of intellectual confusion, I think, about the education that's needed. Um, I think um, in, the, in the new sort of approach to functional skills and the new qualifications, there's actually a recognition and built, and, and built into the, the lowest levels, the entry level qualifications, the need actually to teach teach reading from the, the very very basics. Um, I think functional skills qualifications as they get used in practice 
often sort of tend to miss out that bit and be and, and, and the teaching becomes more about making the best of what reading skills you've got in the real world, but not addressing the problem that means that, that even that at level one is, is, is more than half the prison population can cope with. So I think, I think we've got to get that understanding sort of more deeply through all the people who, 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 are, who are responsible here. I also think that the, the incentives that you talk, talk about, Kelly, some of those seem like very quick fixes. I can see there are there are many difficulties with 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 st with staffing that make things hard, but not that are hard, but not insuperable. Um, but things like sort of differential pay rate pay rates um, need no extra staffing, I and mean, they should be remarkably simple and straight and straightforward to implement. There should be no disincentive um, for prisoners um, to take part to take part in education. That should be a fundamental principle. Thank you, Louise. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on a couple of those barriers. One is around the, what Amanda was saying about the curriculum mm -hmm. driving, functional skills driving the curriculum and therefore being focused on something that isn't necessarily right for the vast majority of people in the classrooms, which is, you know, has not, not changed. But I, but I also think there is an issue around the skills of the staff who are in those, those classrooms. Not that their, their teaching skills, but their, their subject knowledge and their pedagogical knowledge. And, and again, like, like Amanda says, it's not about the prison regime, but some clear training when 50% of the people who are coming through your classrooms cannot read at a functional skills level, then those teachers need to have some training around the subject knowledge and the pedagogical content that enables them to teach reading. And at the moment, they don't. And with the best will in the world, we saw teachers in classrooms at entry level three, so the lowest that they, the lowest level of possible entry, who, who had come from hairdressing or carpentry. And, and it's that thing of putting somebody in to teach those prisoners in their classrooms. There's no way they can have that, that subject knowledge. But that commitment to teaching would be a really, really important thing, I think, and is currently a barrier. And the other thing, I think, is about seeing reading in its widest purpose, because these are adults who we can't force to necessarily engage with reading. But every prison we went to, we asked the question of, to people who weren't engaging, or we asked the question of the staff, why do you think people don't engage? And they talked about the stigma the stigma of not being able to read, and that's why they didn't engage. But all, a lot of those people have family context that they do want to engage with their children. They have, they have legal things that they want to look at. They need to read their menus and those kinds of things. So giving the, the importance of reading a really, really high profile in the prison removes that stigma to a certain extent and says everybody's working towards this. Everybody's working towards this and it's important. Yeah, thank you. I can't imagine being locked up in a cell for 23 hours a day and we're not having access to a book or not being able to read a book, even if I had one. Kirsty Godfrey, um, who's been our, <coughs> our lead on this, who's going to give an overview of the, the findings of the report. Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you, Amanda. So I'm Kirsty Godfrey, one of Her Majesty's inspectors, and yes, I visited all of the prisons as part of this research project. And today I'm just going to share with you some of the main findings. So in terms of background, in particular, our research aimed to find out how prisoners' reading is assessed, the provision which is in place to improve their reading, and how much progress prisoners make. We carried out research in six prisons, and the visits involved discussion with prison leaders, leaders in the education department, 
teachers, librarians, and prisoners. We also visited classrooms when there was English education taking place. Our research showed that prisons do not give due priority to improving prisoners' reading, and that those with the greatest need often receive the least support. There's little opportunity for prisoners to learn to read, and so as well as missing out on the benefits of reading in prison, many will be denied the opportunity to learn the essential skills they need to resettle in the community. We identified some systemic barriers preventing prisoners from receiving effective support to acquire or improve their reading skills. So I'm now going to highlight some of those barriers. First, we found that reading education is not given sufficient priority in the prison regime. Reading is not a distinct part of that core education offer. The importance of learning to read or improving prisoners' reading is all too often overshadowed by a focus on acquiring qualifications. Meeting contractual obligations around enrolment on courses and passing of qualifications prevents education leaders from prioritising making sure that all prisoners learn to read well. Gaining a level one qualification was often an aim for education departments, as this is a requirement for much prison employment. This results in some of the entry-level courses not being considered a priority, even though those entry-level courses, which are suitable for non-readers or those that are in the early stages of learning to read, meet the needs of as much as half of the prison population. Early reading provision then often relied on Shannon Trust, a voluntary organisation that trains prisoners to mentor fellow prisoners who are learning to read. And following COVID-19 and the restrictions, the Shannon Trust programme was much slower to be reintroduced than English functional skills courses that took place in the education departments. Also, in the prisons we visited, systems to assess prisoners' reading ability and identify their <coughs> reading needs and implement solutions to monitor progress were largely absent. Information on the progress that learners were making while learning to read was extremely limited. And this was one of the key areas that we aimed to carry out research on. Yet the lack of information recorded about it meant that we couldn't find out how much progress prisoners were making. Consequently, leaders and education managers did not have the necessary information to even begin to address prisoners' reading needs. Our second main finding was that education provision was often not organised in a way that supports prisoners to improve their reading. Very few prisoners, except in one of the prisons we visited, were receiving any form of English education as few as 2% of the prison population were enrolled on English courses. The pandemic appears to have exacerbated an existing problem about the time prisoners spend on education. Prisoners were generally not able to attend a combination of both work and education. And with work being paid far more, it often encouraged prisoners to work rather than access education. We also saw limited communication between education departments and libraries, 
And of course, a closer partnership could have been used to align the library offer with the educational programs and provide further opportunities for prisoners to practice reading for a range of meaningful purposes. For example, through the storybook Mums and Dads initiatives. Another key finding was that the curriculum was not well designed to improve prisoners' reading. The way in which the curriculum was implemented was not focused on teaching prisoners to read or develop their reading skills. There was also a lack of understanding about the content of the entry-level courses for English functional skills. And so education departments were not using a reputable, structured phonics programme to teach reading, as stated in the subject content for these courses. And few teaching staff had the subject knowledge and training to know how to teach reading. Course materials and resources were often not suitable in teaching adults to read. Teachers made frequent use of text extracts rather than whole books. Lessons focused on comprehension and neglected the basic building blocks necessary for learning to read. This meant there were not enough opportunities to practice and improve reading. And finally, a critical finding which runs throughout the whole report comes as a result of many of the barriers that I've already stated. And that is that prisoners with the greatest need to improve their reading generally receive the least support. So we hope that the publication of this research and the recommendations it makes will bring about significant improvements to the way prisoners gain and improve fundamental reading skills. Thank you. That's terrific, Kirsty. Thank you very much. Can I take some questions or any points or comments? Yes, thank you. Hiya. Kate Green, Member of Parliament for Stretford and Ermston. I'm also Vice Chair of the All-Party Group um, for Penal Reform. And I particularly wanted to, um, first of all, say how depressed I actually am at this event. And I very rarely come to events like where reports are being published where I feel quite so much despair. It's absolutely shocking to hear that the most high-need prisoners are not receiving professional teaching, that there's no incentive on either prisons or prisoners to participate in education, and that we have people who are literally a captive market for education and we can't actually deliver it to them. I find it incredible, actually, that we're in this situation. I wanted to ask two questions, if I may, Sally. First of all, given the propensity of short sentences, what can be achieved I mean, ideally, I would like to see far fewer prisoners in custody on short sentences, but accepting we are where we are, what can be achieved with those prisoners? And secondly, could somebody describe to me the screening process that takes place, particularly because I know there's a high incidence of, for example, dyslexia among the prison population. So it would be really useful to understand how prisons first identify the need uh, before we get into all the depressing stuff we've been hearing about meeting it. The things that we thought might work for short for short sentences where we saw um, practice that that was helpful was in terms of engaging prisoners with texts and with books and giving them the opportunities to to use those those texts and books we didn't see in the visits that we made an assessment that we of prisoners on entry that we thought would help 
the teachers to teach reading. Um, and we didn't see continuity between prisons. So we, we talked to several prisoners who told us that they were doing a qualification that they had already done because the um, information about their assessment hadn't passed on. But more than that, that the assessment <coughs> was so broad that it didn't actually identify those um, specific skills or gaps in knowledge that those prisoners had that could have enabled the teaching to happen. If the assessment was right, I think the teaching could be more focused to those people on very, very short sentences, I would have thought. Charlie? I, I think it's worth just saying that the, the, at the moment, many prisoners are assessed by giving a, being given a long form to fill out, a many-page long form to fill out, in which they tick the boxes. I think it's question number three on that form is, do you find it difficult filling out forms? And I sat in HMP Leicester with a pile of these forms in front of me, just going through them. And uh, at, at least half of them had ticked the box. I find it difficult to fill out forms. They then had to fill out another, whatever it was, six or seven pages of forms. So, so if the assessment isn't dynamic enough, then there isn't really an understanding of... So it may be that, that they got dyslexia. It may be that they'd never been exposed uh, to literacy or, or, or been taught properly in the past. It may be that they've got learning difficulties. It may be that... The, the, um, English isn't their first language. There are a whole bunch of reasons why people may not be able to read. And until you get a proper diagnostic test in place, you just won't know. And I think Amanda wants to come in. Yes, I was going to say, I think the really important point here is, is this, this um, very large slice of the prison population has, essentially, they've all experienced reading failure. They've virtually all been through primary school, at least, um, without succeeding in learning to read. So whatever particular... So, learning difficulties you might be able to label them with, they've all essentially got this huge discouragement and the need for something that is very well-structured, systematic, takes them in sort of small steps, um, that minimises sort of clutter and redundancy, that focuses on that, on the core job of teaching reading in the simplest, clearest possible way to maximise the chance of, of, of experiencing that feeling of making progress um, and getting towards um, be, be, being able being, being able to read read well, um, and that need is fundamentally the same for pretty much every kind of reading difficulty. There are there aren't sort of seventeen different ways to teach men and women to read, um, depending on exactly what the label is. So, so so concentrating on getting that core quality and having train, training training people to be competent to teach that is the thing that could make the most difference for the greatest number in the shortest time. Can I just say, we, I mean, within the prison, uh, within many prisons, um, I mean, I know there's somebody here from the, the Shannon Trust, there is the reading programme from the Shannon Trust, which is a very, very comprehensive programme that, you, that you, you work through. The thing, the thing with that is, it, um, and it's wonderful, please don't think that I'm, I'm saying it's not, is again, it's the priority of it. Um, it's, it's a voluntary organisation, it is a charity, and although they do have a seat at the table in, in HMPPS, if it's not being pushed from the front, from the, from the SLT, from the governors, it again falls down in that priority. But in answer to your question directly, within the Shannon Trust and the reading programme, even somebody on a short sentence, that one-to-one -one at the expected uh, it's 20, 20 minutes a day, five days, at five, five sessions a week. If they have that, they can make really, really good progress. Thanks, Sally. Um, just to build on Bridget's point there, um, welcome the report. Thank you for it. Um, 
I can understand how a lot of the emphasis is going to be on improving mainstream education. But what we wouldn't want to get lost here is the opportunity to scale up peer-led reading programmes that use phonics, turning pages, as Bridget mentioned. That's my slight concern. Um, the organisation is now ready to scale. I'm sure there are other organisations in the voluntary sector who could do more. It simply requires some pretty modest investment. We know what to do. With that investment, we can do a lot more, and we can open the door for a lot more people to, to mainstream education. It's not either or. So what's happening is that people tend to say, um, in answer to the question, what do you do for, for people to help them reading? Oh, Shannon Trust. Yeah. And, and so absolutely agree with everything Ian said about scaling up and all of those things, but you can't, you can't use it as an excuse not to do it properly in the mainstream. Mm, absolutely. Okay, over there. Hi, I'm Sam Duncan from the UCL Institute of Education. Um, I'm really happy to hear this report because this has been my experience for 20 years that those in prison with the greatest needs are the least well served. Um, two questions stroke kind of comments about how can we push this forward. One thing that I think will make a big difference is not to have group teaching in prisons, which combine entry one, entry two, and entry three. This spans a massive range of reading need. Mm. Entry one is where people are really learning to decode, to understand the sound symbol relationships. It has the greatest stigma. Entry three, people are really brushing up. More or less, they have those decoding skills. They're developing fluency. Particularly in male prisons, where there's so much violence and prisoners feel so vulnerable, perhaps also female prisons, having those two groups together mean those with the greatest need who need to learn the decoding will not speak up in group sessions and will hide or act up or get banned from sessions and they won't, that won't work. So I know it's more expensive dividing them, but if there's any way we can push for that and I'd be happy to be part of that, I think that's one thing. The second, exactly as you've said, there's an issue with the teacher education of people who are teaching and we work on teacher education programs. It's very difficult, it's difficult to fund. Having good CPD is very difficult to fund. But in my experience, what's been happening over the last 15 years is good adult literacy teachers haven't been able to make a living doing their job. The paying conditions have meant that they've had to leave the profession. So expertise is lost. Expertise is hemorrhaged every year. And therefore, the really important thing, as um, our colleague said before, about assessment, you know, knowing how to really assess a need, that takes a lot of expertise. And if, if there's not the paying conditions to allow teachers to build careers as adult literacy specialists, maintain those careers, it's really, it's a losing battle. So I know those are very hard things, but those are the two key things I would recommend we really focus on, because I think this report is spot on. And thank you. Matt Hancock, uh, I'm going to admit something at the start. I was um, in DfE for two years as the minister responsible for uh, prison education just before your report uh, came through. And I've, I'm not often shocked anymore, but I've been really shocked by this report today because absolutely nothing has changed for the better uh, if you read this report compared to then. And that was eight to ten years ago. Um, I know from that experience that the the fact that the responsibility sits both between MOJ and DFE makes it hard to provide leadership right at the top. And so it's wonderful that Ofsted and HMIP have come together because it needs both of you and then both departments to make change happen. I come to this because I've got a campaign for better support for those who are dyslexic, but really ultimately that's about literacy. So my question is, what can we do in terms of actions 
implementing your report, Sally, would be a good start. But um, in particular, in the accountability space, because it seems to me that all of the suggestions that have been put together will only be unlocked if prison governors feel they've got skin in the game. And even something as simple as that their rating is determined uh, by the proportion of prisoners who leave their prison illiterate, for instance, would then have knock-on consequences throughout the, uh, the system. So I'm, I, my, there is no magic bullet, of course. There's a huge number of things. The data issue, my local prison, a absolutely furious that they never get the data. So when they do assessments, the prisoners, first thing the pr every single prisoner says is, I've already done an assessment like this. Why do I have to bloody well redo it? Uh, and that's, they blame GDPR. I mean, I brought through GDPR. It did not stop that, and it can be, that can be fixed. Um, so, but my point about going into that is to say there are huge numbers of small things that need to be fixed, but getting the accountability right surely will help to start, or are there other big things that we should be calling for as well? We, we are part of the, the system of prison, prison inspections. We... we, we, we... Um, inspect. Um, I think it's, it's education is with, within the purposeful activity part of prison inspection. We, the, the findings are consistently, um, sort of overwhelmingly very, very poor through the entire prison system. There are not many prisons that that, that get a good on that category, um, and this has been the case for a long for a long time. Um, and yet, it doesn't seem to exert the pressure that you would that, that you would expect it to, given its value. Absolutely, and I, uh, I think it's, it's a frustration of anybody who's occupied this chair is, is going back to prisons, the same prisons again and again, and writing what is often a very similar report when it comes to um, the concerns that we flag. And it's 40 years on since this inspectorate was first um, uh, started in its current form. And uh, I dug out the uh, original chief inspector's report, and the second paragraph of it begins by saying, there are too many prisoners locked up in their cells for too long with nothing meaningful to do. So to some extent, um, some of the frustrations back then have, have not changed uh, in any way. And, and it is, as Matt says, that prioritisation of, of prisons, the, the prioritisation of reading in prisons. And the fact is, it's, it's not that hard to teach people to read, actually. There are some people who find it more difficult than others. But actually, we know how to teach people to read. We, we can make progress here. You know, this isn't rocket science. It isn't some unbelievably difficult process. Actually, we do know how to teach people to read, and people can make progress. And, you know, I was really struck by... I, I met a guy in Belmarsh who, who had just started, within three days, he'd started a 30-year sentence. And he had one thing. He had a book that his lawyer had given him, and it was Wild Swans that people may remember by Jung Chang, a book that came out. He'd read it three times. And the only way that he was going to get through that sentence was by finding some meaning elsewhere. And, and being able to think and talk about the Cultural Revolution actually was giving him an opportunity to think differently about himself and about the world he was in and make some sense of what he was going to go through for the next 30 years. But if it's not a priority, if it's not something that, that governors, that prisons, the prison service focus on, if there is a sense that you can simply oversee prison education with uh, a few giant contracts, and that all you need to do in order to improve things is just turn the dial a little bit on a contract. A fantasy that, that if we just get the contracts right, we'll solve the problems with prison education, instead of understanding that actually it's about the context of individual prisons. It's about having brilliant people like Bridget who are in prisons and making things work, 
But actually, as Bridget says, um, Manchester is extremely lucky having her, and she does an amazing job. But if you don't have a, Bri a Bridget and you don't have a prison who buys in, then progress just isn't made. How many more reports and how many more such pieces of research is it going to take to, to make the changes? And we've talked a lot about accountability. And when is that actually going to happen? And when are we going to get really impatient? Um, which it, it feels that we are in this room and it feels that um, the people in this room could make the real difference uh, uh, and have all the know-how. We have all the know-how. We also know what we should do and what we ought to be doing. Should we not really, really push for the doing on it now? And, uh, and that really feels quite urgent to me. I want to express a small note of optimism here. Um, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, but I, I, I think one of the things that has changed in the last 20 years is our, I think our national understanding of how best to teach reading and especially what's most effective for the children who will have the greatest difficulty learning to read has come on in leaps and bounds. Um, and I think the, the extent to which that is accepted and being built into to, to every primary school in the country, um, the current incarnation of inspection does that so much better than any previous incarnation. So I think the preventive piece is getting a great deal better. I think we'll see fewer children um, with these difficulties and it will be very interesting to see to, sort of to what extent that flows through into sort of behavior later in people's school careers, you know, all the things that, that, that make young people come off the rails. There are, there are many young people being taught in, in not, not just in, in, in youth institutions, but in alternative provision, in SEND schools, as well as in mainstream schools. Getting this understanding could really help to sort of shift practice and rebalance the attention. But, so, but we need to make sure that prisons don't stay walled off um, from, 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 from these, these developments, these shifts. I was shocked by some of the stuff we saw going on. The incentives are in the wrong place. The incentives for governors are in the wrong place. The incentive to lock, unlock prisoners in order that they can get involved in mentoring schemes. Uh, the incentives to focus on the importance and progress and educational progress that, that prisoners make uh, is in the wrong place. The incentives on providers are in the wrong place. They're focused in on qualifications as opposed to people actually making progress wherever they are. So there continues to be a big tranche of prisoners who don't get any access to teaching at all. And the incentive for prisoners is in the wrong place as well, as, as Kelly so eloquently put it, where you're better off, uh, you're better off uh, and you get better paid uh, walking around the prison with a wet rag wiping down cell doors. Uh, and, and there is a greater incentive to do that because you get enough money to get through the basics than there is of going into education and learning to read. And that, to me, is a, is a hugely wasted opportunity. But also the way that assessment works. The assessment isn't thorough enough. It doesn't give a, a, a good enough description and understanding of the issues for prisoners. But also the fact that the information doesn't get out. So the fact that the sharing of information between different prisons doesn't happen. And the frustration again and again that I get from talking to prisoners who tell me that they've done these tests before, they've done this qualification before elsewhere, and yet they're being asked to go through and do the qualification again in a different prison. It costs £45,000 to keep someone in prison for a year on average. It does seem extraordinary that, that at that huge cost to the taxpayer, that if someone comes in unable to read, uh, that they go out unable to read. So uh, I hope the government takes this report seriously. I hope the, we can build some impetus and some momentum here. 
in order that we can begin to really make a difference for that group of prisoners who could do so much better, who could get so much more out of the time that they spent in prison.